This is episode 250, and today we're chatting about how we have the power to create behavioral change that leads to lasting health results, shifting from being anxious and having panic attacks to feeling calm, and tried and true strategies that work to create lasting behavior changes. Our guest today is Dr. Sandra Streinbaum, who's passionate about transforming healthcare by training health coaches to integrate the positive psychology model of coaching with the functional medicine approach to reverse chronic illness. She founded Functional Medicine Coaching Academy in collaboration with the Institute of Functional Medicine, a licensed clinical psychologist for over 35 years. She taught graduate level courses in psychology of eating and mind-body medicine and ran clinics for treating attention deficit disorders, panic, and anxiety. She is the author of the Functional Medicine Coaching, Stop Panic Attacks in 10 Steps, and How to Give Clients the Skills to Stop Panic Attacks. You can find Sandra's work in a whole bunch of places, including functionalmedicinecoaching.org. You can find her on Facebook at Functional Medicine Coaching, Instagram, Functional Med Coach, and also as Dr. Sandy, that's S-A-N-D-I on Instagram, and also via character.org. Questions about today's content? You can head on over to healthfulpursuit.com slash contact and ask me. You can also catch up on previous podcast episodes and notes from today's show by going to ketodietpodcast.com. Now, when you go to that page, you're going to want to look for episode 250. Now, I've done this really cool thing, I feel like, where all podcast episodes that have ever existed for the Keto Diet Podcast are on that page. So when you get to ketodietpodcast.com, just scroll down a little until you find episode 250. 50 and you'll be set. Also, you're probably noticing that today is a Tuesday and we haven't done midweek podcast episodes in a while. Thanks to Perfect Keto for coming through. I was able to make it all work financially to come out with today's episode. So a big thanks to all of you who recommended different brands. I reached out to a whole bunch of different people and we got Tuesday episodes back. So thank you so much. I think we used to do Wednesdays, but we're switching it up because hey, why not? So a big thank you out to Perfect Keto. If you want to load up on Perfect Keto goodies or you've never tried them, you must. You can go to perfectketo.com slash KDP40. Use a coupon code KDP40 and get 40% off your second item. So when you buy one item, you get the second for 40% off. Again, that coupon code is KDP40 for Perfect Keto. Okay, let's do this thing. Hey, I'm Leanne Vogel. You're listening to the Keto Diet Podcast. I've created a free guide with tips on how to start keto and maintain your fat-fueled life. Grab it at healthfulpursuit.com slash free as a little thank you for listening to the show. Hello, everybody. I'm Dr. Sandra Scheinbaum, and what I'm going to talk about is the incredible power that we have to create behavioral change that leads to lasting health results. And more specifically, I'm going to share my story, which is how I went from anxious to calm. So just a little bit about who I am. So I am the founder and CEO of Functional Medicine Coaching Academy, but I founded that online school when I was 65 years old and I didn't start out as a CEO running a global company. Instead, I majored in elementary education and thought I was going to be a school teacher, which I was specifically in special education and thought that that would be where I would have a long career and didn't turn out that way. And that was a good thing because I loved learning and I was always interested in moving on to the next stage, the next phase. And so from becoming a special education teacher after college to then teaching at a local college, teaching teachers how to work with kids with special needs, 
I then got really interested in stress management. And at the time, there wasn't a lot that we knew about it. It was considered actually a pretty radical field, this idea that your mind and body were connected. But it really interested me. And so I went back to school. I, at the time, I was doing a lot of workshops for parents, for teachers, how to manage stress. And that was what I specialized in when I got my doctorate in clinical psychology, the idea that you could reach a quiet state. And for me, this was really significant because I was suffering from pretty debilitating panic attacks and had been told, oh, you know, you're just an anxious person. It runs in the family. Your mother was anxious. But I came from a whole line of worriers, and that was just how I was going to be. And so I happened to take a workshop during my doctoral training that had to do with self-regulation techniques, and that included biofeedback. So I started looking at how I could use breathing techniques and how I could quiet myself. And lo and behold, I wasn't getting panic attacks anymore. So that inspired me to go on and during my career as a clinical psychologist, work with thousands of people, helping them to stop panic, to become less anxious, to calm themselves. And then those individuals who had significant medical issues like migraine headaches or irritable bowel syndrome or insomnia, and I would help them by using what we now refer to as mind-body medicine techniques. And I also, though, I want to say that uh, success doesn't come without failure. In fact, we are successful as a result of our failures. That's how we learn. So I'm really thankful that there was a time when I was in partnership with some psychiatrists. We were running a large group practice responsible for a lot of people who work for us, other psychologists, social workers, and it didn't turn out so well and we had to close our doors. And so at the time I thought, oh, I'm just a failure at this and what am I gonna go on to do? Well, I went on to spend a number of other, uh, spent time as a solo practitioner and I also then got very interested in nutrition. I took all the training I could get, including studying with the Institute for Functional Medicine. And then when I was turning 65, I approached IFM, Institute for Functional Medicine, about working with me to develop a program where we could train health coaches because along the way I had studied health coaching and I also had a young associate, Elise, and she was uh, working with me. And so we built this program uh, and uh, of uh, at the time it was more corporate wellness. We thought we were gonna be local. I was in a, a local suburb of uh, Chicago, Illinois, and I thought that's just where we would be. And uh, instead, uh, we started to dream big. And so we approached the Institute for Functional Medicine about partnering with us. And they were very interested. And so IFM is our collaboration partner. And that was about five years ago. And we have now trained many people throughout the world to become health coaches. And that was uh, putting together a curriculum that combined all of the elements that I had trained in over the years as a psychologist. And so what I'd like to share with you today is some of the tried and true strategies that I have found worked. They worked when I was seeing patients as a psychologist and their strategies that I have used personally. So use them to stop panic attacks, to calm myself when I'm anxious, to take bold steps now running a company, to also now incorporate these into the curriculum that we teach at Functional Medicine Coaching Academy. So what are these steps? Well, number one, it starts with a big dream. And you imagine going out into the future, what you would really like your life to look like and what matters most to you. Those are key questions that a coach 
they ask you, why are these so, so significant? Well, it's because it's what Richard Boyatzis at Case Western Reserve University has called a positive emotional attractor. What does that mean? When you are imagining how you would like your life to be, then that dream is actually on a physiological level creating a profound, quiet, calming, healing state. You're in a parasympathetic mode. And that is when you are most amenable to change. It is also when your body is really in a healing state physiologically as well. So it starts with that. And for me, it was the sense that I wanted to feel that I was doing something that I was fulfilling my mission and purpose in life, which is to help others thrive. I wanted to teach, going back to my roots as a teacher, I wanted to teach these principles to coaches so that they could go out there and really help individuals create lasting change through these strategies that they could change their health and therefore live vibrant lives and be able to pursue what matters to them. So again, number one is that positive emotional attractor, that dream for where you want to be. And it could be something like, I want to be able to get down on the floor with my grandchildren and get back up again without having to have assistance to do that. I want to dance at my daughter's or my grandchild's wedding. Um, I want to have energy. I want to have a sharp mind. And you picture this and then you go on to step two. And when you're starting to have lasting, what's going to be how the way you can create lasting behavior change? Because we all may start out with good intention. I want to lose weight. I want to get better sleep. But how do we actually start? Well, it starts with tiny, tiny baby steps. My friend and colleague BJ Fogg at Stanford University, his book, Tiny Habits, outlines this quite well. And where you're starting is small, achievable. So you start with, I'm going to do one push-up. And what is key is that you pair that one push-up with Every time I go into a particular room in the house, every time I go outside, I'm going to walk to the car when I park a little bit farther. And so it's just, it builds. It can be something like if I want to work out, well, what's the first step if I'm pretty sedentary right now. Well, I'm going to see, do I need to get a new pair of sneakers? And then you break that down. Well, I'm going to uh, look for a store that um, is in my neighborhood. I'm going to do that search for it. So how small can you take that, make that first step? And reason we're doing that is because it makes it achievable. And it's really significant, again, not to judge yourself, oh, you know, I'm starting too small because it builds. I did this with uh, actually doing push-ups. So I decided I was going to get to 100 push-ups every day. And so I had the idea that every time when I woke up in the morning, I keep my yoga mat out because I do a yoga routine, but now I'm going to add push-ups because strength training is really important as you get older. So I started with five and then I worked up to a little bit more and now it's a habit. So tiny steps so that they become habits. So now I don't even think about it every morning. I get up and that's now added to my routine to do push-ups. So I'm up to 50 and then I'll do my second 50 later on in the day. So starting small. Number three, is very basic, very fundamental, and that is don't forget to breathe. So I worked for years with people who had anxiety and panic and taught them breathing. 
And what happens is we all start out in life breathing from our bellies. If you ever watch a baby breathe, you would see that that's where the breath is coming from when they're at rest. But when life gets hard and stressful, usually it's around middle school, then we lose that pattern. Why? Well, often it's because we need air quickly, and so we take a chest breath. Or we are, be, everything is going so fast in our lives that we are breathing quickly as well. It's like we're panting. Or we may be holding our breath. We're holding everything in so tight. And so our, we're breathing in a very shallow way. Or as I was doing, and the re, one of the reasons I was getting severe panic attacks is because I was inhaling more than exhaling. So out of fear, I can't breathe. That's usually one of the things happens when you have panic, um, that I would keep thinking I need more air. So you're inhaling more than exhaling, which creates a state of hyperventilation. So these dysfunctional breathing patterns can be reversed. And so learning how to take slow belly breaths is really significant no matter what you're doing. So I take these slow breaths when I'm working out. I believe lifting weights, I do a lot of Pilates and it's all focused on breathing yoga as well. Every physical movement is paired with either an inhalation or an exhalation. When you are wanting to calm and quiet yourself, you may have heard a lot about, well, just meditate. Well, how do you do that? So it starts by just really noticing your breath. So noticing where it's coming from and can you take it more, uh, breath more from your belly and keeping your chest quiet. Well, how do you know when you're quite keeping your chest quiet? It's because often you can feel your shoulders. You can look in a mirror. Are your shoulders going up and down every time you take a breath? So focusing on now, so we've, we've talked about having this dream where you wanna be this positive emotional attractor. And now you're going to think, where am I going to start? What am I gonna start doing today that will be one tiny baby step to ensure that I get towards this dream, this big dream of mine. And in the process of now planning for that baby step, you may start out by taking a breath. And it's like getting you in a state of readiness. So catching your breathing, throughout the day, setting reminders, setting alarms to actually breathe, get enough air. Now you can build from there. You can add on. And that's one of the ways I love to teach these principles is that it's not just one or the other, but it's all integrated. You're doing it all at the same time. And that's actually how you're creating lasting behavior change that's going to have true health results. So you're taking a breath and in the process you may notice well maybe you're all bent over so i have an issue with posture it's been an issue for me ever since i was a little girl i look at pictures and i'm always slumped over i'm always round shoulders i remember my mother telling me stand up straight it's something that i work really really hard on and the reason standing up straight is important number one is now you can expand your diaphragm you actually have more room to breathe through your diaphragm and that's actually what when we talk about belly breathing it's really diaphragmatic breathing and so you're elongating as you stand up straight you are creating more room for that breath what else is happening when you stand up straight well you can feel more powerful if you're speaking if you're in a meeting speaking on on a stage at an event or just are feeling defeated in any way stand up straight and notice how that creates a difference, not only physiologically, but also emotionally as well. You feel, you may have more courage, you feel stronger, like you can tackle more. And you also may notice that along with maybe bending over, maybe you were tightening up, maybe your shoulders are hiked towards your ears, maybe you are bracing, maybe you're clenching your jaw, you're, you're just in a state of 
muscle tightness. So as you start to relax your breath, you may also notice again how I, I have a lot of muscle tightness and this is a technique that comes from progressive muscle relaxation. You exaggerate the tension. So let's say your shoulders are up to your ears and you tighten it even more. You pull them up even higher and then you exhale and you let it all go. And now you notice that you have dropped your shoulders you maybe you've relaxed your your neck a lot of us have our necks jutting forward especially if we're on the phone a lot and texting and we're constantly in that forward neck posture so just pulling it back as you stand up straight well how that may be a top something you catch yourself once a day but now you're going to build on that and then that tiny habit principle every time i go to my computer i'm going to roll my shoulders up back and down and release it at the same time focusing on standing up straighter and having more room for that belly breath so we're adding on to this now maybe we want to in the moment and this is very crucial focus on something good we have great imaginations to imagine the negative and start flooding our mind with negative images and can you as you take that simple breath you inhale can you inhale something good? Inhale warmth, for example. So it can be a physical sensation that you imagine of warmth, but maybe you're someplace that's too warm in a hot climate or you're feeling uncomfortable and you can imagine coolness. When I worked with people with migraine headaches, I would often have them go on this journey through guided imagery and imagine something cool and soothing, like a, a, something on their forehead or the feel of cool water on the back of their neck. And so it, you can use imagery that's visual. You can use imagery that's auditory. Imagine a pleasant sound. Um, some people imagine um, uh, music and can hear it and that's calming to them. You can imagine um, a sensation, a uh, cool breeze. You can imagine uh, really it's, it's unlimited. So can you imagine yourself feeling, feeling joy? Bring on that, that feeling. So uh, in using imagery is really powerful. Can you look out the window and take yourself away. Uh, and whatever you are looking at, what can you imagine? And just let your mind go, like you were a little kid again, and you're going to play. So close your eyes, imagine where you'd like to be at this moment, maybe going back into the past. Um, maybe there's some place that you know well that always guarantee that when you went there, um, it brought on some positive feelings. So we have the power then to imagine joy, imagine warmth. One of the favorite exercises uh, comes from uh, heart rate variability training, where you take this belly breath, and then as you exhale, it's a warm breath because our bodies warm the air for us. Can you imagine that warmth flowing through your heart? And as you imagine the warmth flowing through your heart, that's the center of love and connection. Can you imagine the warmth that you can extend to somebody else, a loved one, perhaps? And you imagine that warmth just flooding your body, filling every cell, every part of your being. And you can do this in just a, under a minute. And it's a very, very powerful process of centering and finding that warmth, that connection. And so this is a mind-body technique. So that's the power of imagery, imagining something good, no matter what. No, no censoring here. I really hope you're enjoying today's episode. I'd love to see where you're listening from. You can snap a pic and tag me at Leanne Vogel or leave a review for the show on your favorite podcast player. It helps me out tremendously. Okay, back to the good stuff. And then the next one, think rationally. 
I had the privilege of training with Dr. Albert Ellis in cognitive behavior therapy. And how do we disturb ourselves? We disturb ourselves by our thoughts and the language we attach to those thoughts. This is awful. This is horrible. I might be thinking right now, okay, I'm just talking on and on. Uh, is this making any sense? Uh, am I and I might then say to myself, oh, I'm not doing a good job. This is probably not what they wanted. I don't know why I'm doing this. This is uh, not working. Um, or this is awful. I can extend it even more. This is awful. This is terrible. I'm not a good speaker. I'm uh, stumbling over my words. I'm saying too many ums. This is, this is terrible. And it's those elevation of language where we up the ante and we're suddenly saying this is awful this is horrible this shouldn't be happening i can't stand this this is terrible and what happens when we say those things just a split second is that it creates physiologically a stress response and it also is a way that we're now characterizing ourselves so how do we get out of it well, we start to shift that thinking. And we often can start one of the thing, um, ways we do that, it's very easy to catch a what if, okay? What if I'm late? What if this presentation doesn't go well? Um, it goes on and on. And just focus now on your own what if. And what would happen if you put a so in front of it? And then you think of, the worst consequence. So what if I'm late? Well, so what if you're late? What would be the worst thing that could happen? You answer that and then you challenge. Okay. And what would be the worst thing about that? And you get to the ultimate, well, if I'm late, I might do it. Well, I could lose my job. And then, well, and, and what if that would, you know, so what if that were to happen? And you get to a point where you imagine uh, that and you, can go there to see it still wouldn't be awful, horrible, terrible. Your life would go on. How many people have, um, like, I'm now thanking that failure experience back in the past when I was a psychologist running that group practice. Because if I, if that had been successful, I wouldn't have moved on to launch Functional Medicine Coaching Academy, for example. I would still be back there running that group practice. I learned a lot. I'm thankful for my mistakes. And you'll hear many entrepreneurs say that, that they acknowledge, thankfully, uh, that that happened. And so we often then were catastrophizing. We think it would be awful, horrible, terrible. But in reality, your life goes on and it may even be better. Even people who are suffering from chronic illnesses uh, will often say that that was the like having cancer, for example. Um, when we're not going to sugarcoat and say turning something that is bad to something good, but often people find strengths they never knew they had, and they will say that this led to a, a real transformation uh, and focus on what really matters to them. So learning to catch those words, he shouldn't be doing this, awful, terrible, horrible. Um, you know, my, the worst like is when I was having a panic attack where you elevate it to, I'm dying, I'm having, I'm gonna pass out, I'm dying, or I can't stand the feeling. And then you rework it to, well, yes, it's not comfortable, but I can stand it. I can survive, I can work my way through it. And so that is a more rational statement, like, yes, it's uncomfortable. Yes, failing uh, this exam uh, is something that I'm working really hard to pass. I'm going to work hard and study hard. And if, though, I were to fail, that would be undesirable or the feeling would be uncomfortable if such and such a thing happened. But it will not be the worst thing. So if I failed, um, again, I'm human like the rest of us and allowing that. So there's many great books about how to think rationally. Uh, one of my favorite is the old one from uh, Dr. Albert Ellis, how to stubbornly refuse to make yourself miserable about anything. And that is going step by step, how to catch the thought and how to rework it so that you are not making yourself miserable because 
what at the end of the day we are making ourselves miserable because of our interpretations not the actual thing that happened and so we have these really irrational thoughts and we can turn those around so that they are again more rational often what what we can do is catch what tense we're in so the what ifs are in the future now we used to uh, have people think well are you a fortune teller how can you prove to me as if you were the 100 percent certainty can you prove that this is going to happen that this will be the consequence or we're stuck in the past and we're ruminating we're we're thinking about something we have no control over because it's gone it's in the past so you center yourself in the present. Fears are in the future. So what if this happens? Um, And we can say, well, where's the evidence at the moment? Nothing is happening right now at this moment in time. So if you're like, I would sit and worry about my daughter when she's not home yet. um, And she's out, well, you know, what if there's an accident? And it's on, it's endless how much we can worry, uh, but we can pull back to the present. Well, where's the evidence at this time? Yes, it could happen, but that's a hypothesis at this time, at this very moment where's the evidence and then you go back to your breathing because that's what you can feel in the moment in this moment i can feel my breath i can slow that down i can roll my shoulders up back and down i can stand straighter i can feel something physically in the moment that i want to feel and so you're going back to that imagery imagining something good and sticking in the moment so It also ties into a big part of thinking rationally is acknowledging mistakes. We tend to want to be perfectionists all the time, 100% perfect. And when we are making any kind of behavior change, we don't do it perfectly. We make mistakes. I don't do those push-ups every single day in perfect form. And so you allow that there will be slip ups, there will be times when you'll have setbacks. And so it's really change. I like to think of it more like a trend line. If you are familiar with um, uh, stock market fluctuations, where you can see that it doesn't go straight up uh, like a rocket, it goes on a trend line. It's And there may be dips and corrections, but if you were to put a ruler, you would say like, overall it's going up, but there's variations and so you allow for that and forgive yourself that is so important and i think a big part of of wanting to make this these behavior changes is we tend to be so hard on ourselves and often overdo it we get overzealous and we don't allow room for rest so this happens particularly i see this with people who are starting an exercise program and they have one they they overdo it and so they think if if running for 30 minutes is good that i'll push it and i'll i'll double that and often then what happens is it's hard to pull back and rest so when we think of creating behavior change for lasting health results, it's acknowledging the fact that you need rest. You need some days when you can just restore. And that's just as important as pushing. It's a balance between uh, moving forward and uh, going farther in terms of how much you're going to be energized and uh, let's say a a day when you think oh i'm just gonna push harder to get this project done but are you forgetting the need for rest and sleep so there's a lot of great research coming out about the importance of sleep for your uh, physical health for your mental emotional health so perhaps as you look at where you want to be in terms of your health, are you forgetting that sleep is a huge part of that? And can you give yourself permission? Because we tend to think that there's some badge of honor to say, oh, I can get by with five hours sleep, six hours sleep. Um, I don't need much sleep. And we just push ourselves. So a huge part of it is that I'm going to allow for sleep and it's okay to rest 
And one of the areas that I found that some, I had struggled with that in the past would be to please other people because I have found that I like going to bed early, like 10 o'clock. But if when I'm with my family, they tend to like to stay up late. And so I would feel like the need to be sociable and not be the one who's like, oh, got to go to bed now that I wasn't taking care of myself. So how can you balance um, taking care of yourself with the need to uh, be social and be with a group of people. So I found that as well with, um, I do time-restricted eating and I like to be through at 6 p.m. And that doesn't work real well uh, all the time because I may have dinner plans and uh, they will um, think I'm strange if I'm not eating. So how we balance taking care of ourselves with um, what we think people are thinking of us. And that goes back to the thinking rationally because we tend to think that um, we need to please everybody at all times with no exception. Or we are fearing embarrassment, which is a huge one that interferes with thinking rationally. We think we're going to feel uncomfortable. We're going to be embarrassed, um, feeling shameful. We don't want to let any people down. And so as we work through that to say, well, what's the consequence? So what? You know, so what if this person um, has a negative thought about me? We can't control other people's thoughts. And that's, again, a huge part of thinking rationally. And tied in with everything I've been saying is what we eat. So making food choices based on the idea that food is medicine. And Mark Hyman says the most important decision we make every day is what we're going to put on the end of our fork. And so we want to eat foods that are more anti-inflammatory. And I'm not going to go into, uh, in this talk, um, what would be those anti-inflammatory foods, but we want to eat more vegetables. We want to look at reducing our processed food, but again, to create lasting behavior change for health results means that it is going to be a mixed bag. We can't do this perfectly. We can't have every single meal to be um, the perfect example of food as medicine. First of all, because we don't know what it is. I'm uh, old enough to have seen every diet trend. I lived through uh, uh, low fat and I lived through being a raw vegan. And each stage we thought that was the answer. So to not be too dogmatic, to know that research shifts and changes and, and in 10 years, it's probably going to be different than the state of the science today in terms of what's the best or the optimal diet. But looking at what fits for you, when do you feel at your best? And also thinking, again, I'm just doing the best I can with being aware of food recommendations and pretty much fall down to avoiding as much as possible processed foods. And looking at, though, again, the ability to not take all this too seriously because uh, I studied psychology of eating for many years, used to teach classes and doctoral programs at psychology of eating. And we can get to a state where it's what we call nutritionism, where there's no joy in eating any longer. And we're just focusing on the macronutrients, micronutrients, and seeing foods totally as um, the composition of how it's um, in terms of the uh, what it's going to do for us nutritionally. And so that can be just as problematic as the other approach to food, which would be a hedonistic approach. Uh, somebody who is eat, eating purely for pleasure. Um, I'm going to uh, go through the drive-in and get this because it's it feels good the moment. And so uh, it tastes good and therefore I'm gonna order it with no sense of what it's doing to you in the long run or even the short run. But having a balance where you are aware 
of food as medicine, but you are also focusing on food as joy and food as a way that we interact with others. We come to meals together. And so having that joy of what you're eating, joy of being aware of how food was prepared, and that is really important to have lasting health results, uh, as well as how you're eating. So if you're eating and you're multitasking, if you're eating quickly and swallowing things whole and have little awareness, then uh, the, the, you will be in a stressed state as opposed to digesting your food well when you're really appreciating and enjoying what you're eating. I feel like just about everyone who's either new to keto or been doing keto for a while knows about perfect keto. They were keto before keto was cool. <laughs> They're a really awesome company ran by a bunch of really cool people. And they have the ability to know what keto people need because they are keto through and through. I use their products to stay in ketosis, burn more fat, extend my fasts, satisfy my sweet tooth. They have different supplements and snacks and supportive nutrients to get you on the ketogenic diet, transition easier onto the ketogenic diet, have boosted energy, overcome afternoon slumps. And what I really, really, really love about them is they understand that keto people also travel. Many of their products are so great for taking on the go, whether it be their MCT oil packets, which I personally love. It's the powder it adds to anything, all the way through to their amazing, like, and I say amazing, with like rainbows and butterflies around it. Amazing protein bars. Like I cannot keep these bars in the house, whether it's Kevin having four at dinner time instead of an actual dinner or me sliding a couple into my little snack plate when I'm watching Netflix. These bars are legit. They're delicious. They're perfectly sweet. They're perfectly fatty. And they have bits of cocoa butter just baked right into there. So good. And Perfect Keto's put together a wicked promo for all podcast listeners. When you go to perfectketo.com slash KDP40, you can use the code KDP40, buy one item and get one for 40% off plus shipping. Again, that's KDP40. Buy one, get one for 40% off plus free shipping. If you're trying to come up with some ideas and some product recommendations, number one, you need keto bars in your life. If you're having a hard time deciding, just go with almond butter brownie. You're welcome. Exogenous ketones I personally use to maintain my energy level and give my brain a certain edge. Another great one is their nut butters. Oh. They're good. Keto collagen is a winner, as is the MCT oil powder. So again, that's perfectketo.com slash KDP40 with the code KDP40, where you can buy one, get one 40% off. Enjoy. And then lastly, so we have food as medicine. Uh, we have movement as medicine. So find it. And this is pretty similar. So exercise can it be joyful? I love to tap dance and I look forward to going to dance class. I also like ballet and yoga and Pilates, uh, probably because they're very similar. They, many of these stem from more from dance uh, patterns. And so I am going to go to those programs, those classes, and it's harder for me to get out and run five miles. I'm not going to be enjoying that. So I'm not going to keep it up. So what brings us joy? If you don't have that key combination of exercise and joy, then it is not going to last. And so looking at what really brings you joy in terms of, of exercise and movement, moving around is, is so important. So where are you going to start? And often when we're talking about food, we're talking about changing sleep habits, we're talking about uh, getting movement or exercise more consistently, going back to the tiny, tiny habit cultivation as opposed to overreaching, thinking unrealistically, and then having that catastrophic kind of thinking when you screw up and don't follow through or fall off the wagon. How do you do all this? 
Well, that brings uh, me to character strengths. This is a concept coming from positive psychology. You embrace your strengths. What is right about you? So at times when you were thriving, what strengths were you using? And there, this comes from positive psychology. They've identified 24 character strengths. These are traits that you have, they're with you throughout your life. We all have all 24 of these. And some are more pronounced in us and they become our signature strengths. They can be strengths of the mind, like having good judgment, love of learning, perspective. They can be strengths that are of the heart, like love and kindness. And when we are using these strengths, that's how we're thriving, physically as well as mentally. So it has to do with wisdom that we can apply our wisdom strengths. We uh, may do that by getting further learning. If you're listening to a podcast, you probably love learning. Uh, courage is there are many strengths under courage. So having bravery, uh, it had, has to do with moral courage, not just physical acts of bravery, having zest and energy and excitement, having, as I said, love and kindness, strengths that have to do with fairness and teamwork and maybe leadership as well, and strengths that have to do with forgiveness and showing prudence, uh, having self-regulation. So these are varied, but they all work together to create well-being. And then there are the strengths that we refer to as transcendence. What are those? That would be being in awe, having the sense of appreciation of everything that's beautiful and lovely around you. And that is strongly tied to well-being. So when you are using imagery, when you are mindful of what's around you, you are possibly cultivating that sense of really appreciating everything that is around you that life has to offer. It can be a strength of hope when you are establishing that emotional attractor, that dream. Well, that's hope. It's hope and that is so, so powerful that, that you are going to get there and you see yourself and you imagine it and you put yourself um, in that place. And gratitude where you are in the moment and that's how you can center yourself. So you take a breath, you feel the warmth and you can feel gratitude in the moment for everything that you can think of that is is good no matter how big or how small and humor is really important too so not taking any of this stuff too seriously but being able to laugh being able to really find find the humor and laughter is is so healing and then a sense of, of, um, of awe of everything around you, kind of spirituality uh, is, is important as well, which doesn't have to be organized religion. So those are the 24 character strengths that come from positive psychology. You can find your signature strengths by going to viacharacter.org. That's V-I-A character. Org. That's a nonprofit organization uh, at Functional Medicine Coaching. We work really closely with them and we use character strengths as a part of coaching. And lastly, I want to really emphasize that you are not alone. So what is the real uh, most powerful way to take everything that I've talked about and implement it so that it becomes not just like, oh, this is something I should do, or maybe you start and you don't follow through. Well, having somebody on this journey with you. And so we are a community. And so having peer support, having family support, uh, having a community, no matter what you want to do, when you are connected with other people, then that is going to be the route to success 
and finding joy, finding meaning and purpose. We find meaning and purpose. Going back to what I started with, that, that dream, that positive emotional attractor. Well, if it's, it's with other people that we get there. It's love, community, meaning and purpose, working in a group and working with a health coach. And you don't have to do this alone. A coach can be with you as your personal cheerleader, can help you sort out where you want to be. And then what are those steps, baby steps you're going to take, can guide you through a lot of those mind-body medicine practices like breathing and muscle relaxation techniques and how to help you sort out your thinking so that you're thinking clearly that you are being able to forgive yourself and get back on track after making mistakes and setbacks, to help you with a plan for sleep and food choices and movement throughout the day, helping you acknowledge and use those character strengths and holding you accountable. Uh, that really works. So when you have somebody that who you are accountable to and can talk to about this journey towards having lasting health results, that is really the most powerful element. So I personally went from thinking I was an anxious person. Now people say, oh, you're so calm. Nothing bothers you. And I made profound shifts in my eating. I used to be addicted to sugar. That was certainly tied in with the anxiety and panic. I didn't know that at the time. And I made profound shifts there. I made a career shift and took huge risks when I was 65 to start a company with no business skills, but I had a partner and I wasn't doing it alone. And I am focusing on my mission and purpose now, which is to go out and train thousands of people to be health coaches, to work with people. So if this resonates with you and you would like to learn more about health coaching, you can go to functionalmedicinecoaching.org. It's www.functionalmedicinecoaching.org. That's where you can learn more about me. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Functional Medicine Coaching Academy. And I hope that you've enjoyed this presentation and that have, you're able to um, go out and look at how where you want to be, what matters most, and how you could start taking baby steps to get there. Thank you. Bye now. A great show, right? I hope you really enjoyed it. Now, Sunday, May 31st, episode 251, I'm going to be taking over the show, taking it back from all our great guests that we've had as of late to bring you a Q&A. I'm answering all of your questions. And if you want a question answered on an upcoming show, just head on over to healthfulpursuit.com slash contact and ask me your question. Then it'll be on a future show. On Sunday, June 7th, we have episode 252, where Debbie Potts is giving you some insight as to whether or not you have athletic stress. So if you move your body, if you follow a coaching program, if you're at the gym moving your body, this is a good episode for you. So I will see you there. <laughs> Bye. Thanks for listening to the Keto Diet Podcast. Join us again in a couple of days to discover more Keto for Women secrets for your fat-fueled life. The Keto Diet Podcast, including show notes and links, provides information in respect to healthy living, nutrition, and diet, and is intended for informational purposes only. The information provided is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment, nor should it be construed as such. We cannot guarantee that the information provided on the Keto Diet Podcast reflects the most up-to-date medical research. Information is provided without any representations or warranties of any kind. Please consult a qualified physician for medical advice and always seek the advice of a qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding your health and nutrition program. 